Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is our virtual class for A Course in Miracles with my special guest co-host, Robert Rosenthal, MD, who joins me on the second Thursday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern to help break down and interpret the concepts presented in the course. Normally, our segments air at 3 p.m. Eastern, but we have changed that schedule for Dr. Bob uh, so, to, uh, so as to accommodate his uh, schedule for work. So today, we'll be continuing our interpretation of Chapter 16, Section 5. We'll pick up with Paragraph 7 and see how far we get. But because relationships of all kinds is the focus in this new year, acknowledging that many different relationships are either strained or have ended of late or even past relationships about which we have questions or we struggle to let go of certain aspects of that. We're making this an ongoing series on relationships with a focus on special relationships as it is explained in the course, what a special relationship is, what needs to be done to transform it into one that is holy and holy loving. For those who desire to attract a relationship that is far elevated beyond what you're used to, we're here to help you with that as well. So we'll be mentioning that specific uh, scenario. We'll weave that in with what we're saying so that you can elevate your vibration to attract the proper relationship. No matter your circumstance, uh, in order to achieve this higher vibration, you must remove the blocks to love within, and that is our goal to help you. If you're new to the show, Dr. Bob is the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of A Course in Miracles, having served on the Foundation's board of directors since 1992. He was a practicing psychiatrist and psychotherapist for 32 years before retiring to take on his new position. He was introduced to the course in 1975 at the age of 20 by Judy Scutch and became a close friend and protege of Dr. Bob is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus from the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, published by Hay House. The book interprets the biblical story of Exodus and demonstrates the ego's perception of life's conditions. I recommend you read this book prior to studying A Course in Miracles if you're not familiar with it or to effortlessly deepen your understanding of the abstract concepts presented in the course. If you would like to connect with Dr. Bob, you can visit fromplagestomiracles.com. There you can read excerpts or purchase the book. You can also visit acim.org, as in acourseinmiracles.org. You can learn about and purchase A Course in Miracles there. You can also discover other very valuable resources. To review the archives of my segments with Dr. Bob and others, visit spiritualinsightsradio.com. 
on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at Char Spicer. You can also go on Facebook and visit Bob's page at From Plagues to Miracles. You can also tune into the show directly from my Facebook page, Spiritual Insights Radio, and feel free to join my closed discussion group, the Spiritual Insights Forum. This is a group of minded people as well as listeners of the show. With you in whichever way you choose. It's to be of service to the spiritual community and also lend support to students and student teachers of the course. As we teach, we learn. Yeah, hey, Char. How you doing? I'm doing Oh, really good. Days have been um, strange lately, so it's a roller coaster ride, but I feel great. We we might still be in a strange world because you are breaking up um, in some of what you're saying. Already? Okay. Least, Let me, yeah, yeah. Let me try to fix the thing. Okay. Better? Yes, definitely better. I was a little excited. Oh, so nope, my inter- it's there my again. Inter- <laughs> Okay, let me try. Here we go. Is it better? Say a little more, please. Um, how about I go to my phone? Yeah, it, it's still breaking up. Okay, let me go to my phone. How's that? Is that a little better? Yeah, the sound quality isn't quite as good, but you are at least coherent and coming through uh, intelligibly. <laughs> okay, that's all that matters. All right. the rest I have right. to let it go because the electronics are responding to my energy level, and at the moment I'm very excited about the topic. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you were fine when we were talking before the show, and then it just... It just started, and all of almost all of the intro was fine, and then it started um, breaking up. Okay. Well, I can listen to it and edit it as needed. Okay. Woo. Okay. Here we go. We're back. Uh, we had a bit of a break in the last month, but I'm happy to pick up where we left off in Chapter 16, The Choice for Completion. Yes. So, you know, th- as you said, this – you know, these particular sections of Chapter 16 all focus on um, the special relationship, which ultimately um, stands in contrast to the holy relationship, which is what A Course in Miracles uh, is, is leading us to. And um, I think we're, you said we're up to paragraph seven? Mm-hmm, yep. That's where we are. Oh, so... Just as you know, just as when you're watching, um, you know, a TV series, uh, they have you know sort of that summary of what happened in the previous weeks to catch you up. Um, what we covered in the first six chapters, six sections of this, six paragraphs of this section, um, is basically the idea that the ego mind, in its desire to replace God and the love of God. Um, and because it's incapable of true union, true joining, you know, the ego can't join with anything because it is literally an idea of separateness and separation, that because of this, it comes up with this, you know, sort of um, real jury-rigged Rube Goldberg alternative by which it has a facsimile of joining in the special love relationship. Um, But notice like all things ego, the special love relationship is all about specialness. 
and therefore excludes everyone else and therefore reinforces the ego's basic um, essence of separation. So it's, 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 it's an appearance, it's a charade, it's a mirage of union that really can't ever be connected because of the nature of ego. And that's what this, 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 this section of Chapter 16 is describing, and that's what we're going to go on to talk about more. Um, you know, we're going to penetrate this, you know, very clever ruse of the ego, and, you know, with, the Course is going to deconstruct it and show us how it works, um, but most of all, you know, why it can never work. I was thinking before our show, Shar, that in a world of 7 billion people, I'm guessing probably half of those are spending most of their time thinking about relationship and what they want in a male or female or neuter. Um, and those in a relationship, what isn't working and what they'd like better. Um, so, you know, the ego's version of relationship brings up a tremendous amount of discontent. Um, Absolutely. Any thoughts? Otherwise, I think maybe we'll start reading. Just to add that it, this is not limited to romantic relationships because our other relationships, whether it's with family, friends, or a coworker, these elements can be present in those as well. So in whatever relationship is the most tense or giving you trouble right now, we want everybody to kind of look at how you're approaching that relationship and look at it as an alliance. We form alliances, and every alliance has purpose. And so whether it serves a romantic purpose or a, a goal of making a living or having friends and, and companions, look at the specialness of each relationship through the eyes of the ego as we break this down, and you should get some insight into that. Yeah, really good That's point. It? <clears throat> yeah, the goal is to make all of our relationships holy relationships because at the end of the day, they really are all one and the same. I mean, we are relating to ourself just in another aspect. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you know, as you because he, she is you. Okay. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to start us off if that's okay. Okay, sure. So this is paragraph 7 of chapter 16, section 5, The Choice for Completion. Um, it is found on page 342 of the Foundation for Inner Peace edition uh, of A Course in Miracles. Here we go. Most yeah, curious of all is the concept of the self, which the ego fosters in this special relationship. This quote-unquote self seeks the relationship to make itself complete, Yet when it finds the special relationship in which it thinks it can accomplish this, it gives itself away and tries to quote-unquote trade itself for the self of another. This is not union, for there is no increase and no extension. Each partner tries to sacrifice the self he does not want for one he thinks he would prefer. And he feels guilty for the quote-unquote sin of taking and of giving nothing of value in return. How much value can he place upon a self that he would give away to get a quote-unquote better one? Mm -mm. So what, you know, I mean, this just hits the nail right on the head. 
the ego's idea of relationship is not a true joining in union, in love, in recognition that we walk the exact same path. The ego's notion of, of a love relationship or of any relationship that works is based upon sacrifice, um, is based upon, as Char was saying earlier, bargaining. You know, well, let's see, you got something I want, and apparently you think I have something you want, so what the heck, you know, let, let, let's have a relationship. Um, if you, I mean, for me, if I think about my you know, much younger uh, romantic relationships and attachments, they were all focused on people who seemed more special than I was. And by, you know, sort of roping them into a relationship, I could somehow partake of that specialness. You know, if, if they shone that light of theirs on me, then that was going to make me complete. But, of course, this is utter nonsense because all it really does is accentuate the sense of lack you feel and the impossibility of ever sort of carving that out from someone else and making it yours. Um, and, in fact, what I, you know, if I look back, what I really learned, whether the relationship proceeded or whether it just fell apart utterly or whether it never even really happened, what I really learned was, oh, if that's a quality that I appreciate and like, I need to nurture that in myself. And then I'll pretty naturally be drawing to me people who mirror that and who want to give it back to me. If I'm drawn to someone who I think is more loving than I am, then I need to cultivate love. If I'm drawn to someone who I think is more humorous or more joyous, then I need to cultivate humor and joy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the, mm-hmm. the line in the section I just read that I have underlined and starred and um, double marked in the margin is, each partner tries to sacrifice the self he does not want for one he thinks he would prefer. You know, right there, take it from me, couples therapist for 25 years, right there you have the essence of the special love relationship uh, that the ego cherishes, that the ego dangles before us, and that uh, we believe makes the world go round. It doesn't. It doesn't. Over no, to you, Char. It can't make the world go round because it would be spinning it in the wrong direction. <laughs> because it's not—it's all part of an illusion, and it's—and it can't—it can't be completed as we'll get into. What I'd like to do is backtrack and read the last um, couple of sentences from the previous paragraph to give the listeners a sense of the springboard that we're kind of using as we continue our conversation. And the last few sentences say. The special relationship um, is a kind of union from which union is excluded and the basis for the attempt at union rests on exclusion. What better example could there be of the ego's maxim, seek but do not find? And so that kind of gives you a sense of what we're always searching for. And a lot of people um, continue that search and don't know how to look at the relationship a previous relationship to see what exactly went wrong. It's usually a he said, she said, or this person did this and whatever, and trust was eliminated, whatever the, whatever you blame for the ending of the relationship. But this is what I get out of this paragraph. I just wanted to get that last secret, do not find Maxim in there. Yeah, what I no, want to do is... Great. Thank you. Okay, so what okay. I want to do is... I. Go ahead, 
I, I just wanted to add, I mean, when you read those lines from, um, you know, the previous paragraph, I think it, it can be confusing for some people that the idea of, you know, a union that rests on exclusion, you know, people are thinking, well, how is that based on exclusion? But if you just think about the word exclusion and carry it to its its sister word, exclusive, um, I think you start to get the feeling for it. We make our special relationships exclusive. They are just for mm-hmm. us. They, you know, we have um, uh, a safe harbor, someone who will love us no matter what, come hell or high water, um, and the rest of the world be damned. You know, as long as I have the love of this one being in any way, shape, or form, all will be well. But that is exclusion, and it is exclusive. The two words are, are obviously almost identical. But I just wanted to add that so that people could understand that. So that's what we mean by it's, it's a mirage of union that isn't true union and, in fact, is a form of exclusion, exclusivity. Okay, just wanted to get that in. No, that's perfect because we are part of the collective. We are all one. I am you, you are me. And so to choose one and separate them from that, there's the exclusion aspect. And so um, we're in that relationship with a barrier up to the rest of the world. No, just this person, everybody else is excluded. So it is a further uh, example of separation, even though it has its joyous benefits and we can learn a lot and really get to a holy connection. But there, there is that simple fact that there's a process to it. But... Um, no, that was great. Okay, so you want to hear my thoughts on yes. this paragraph? Okay. Yes. So I wanted to differentiate the self that is mentioned. It is lowercase, and it is in quotations. I want to emphasize that this type of the self I see as uh, being described as the lower self as compared to the higher self or soul. And so when in the body with the um, active ego, generally we operate from that lower self with the ego's presence being continual, and the lower self feeling inadequately divided. We all see each other as separate. We're all in separate bodies. We're all different different religions, what have you. But it makes us feel inadequately divided, and so we seek completion in the form of a special relationship. When such a relationship is found, where the goal of completion can possibly be met, we see that potential. It relinquishes a part of itself in an attempt to swap or exchange it for the part of the other that it feels will make it complete. That's the goal. And the heading of the section is the choice for completion, but it's how you go about it that is key to your growth. Well, what happens is there's a type of transaction that takes place beneath the line of pure love, and the enlargement of the self, when combined with another, doesn't get to take place. So that when you join your energy with that of another, there should be a larger, much bigger energy present. But it doesn't really happen here because there's this undercurrent. Um, this is more of kind of like an under-the-table transaction or a switch coordinated by the ego simply to get what it wants. And in sacrificing a part of itself, naturally, it is going to demand sacrifice of the other. That is the law of sacrifice. But the tendency to disown an aspect of oneself based on the value we place on it is very strong. A comparable scenario is when we disown a talent or a skill that we have after we've decided we're not worthy of it. Many of us have done this. And in a special relationship, we give away that part of us that we feel is without value. 
and then we experience a silent guilt for offering a gift to someone that you know is worthless and worthless and and yet you felt it was precious enough to give away. So there's that strange um disconnect from yourself. Well let me I don't like this part of myself. So let me just give this to you as a gift. And so you're going to feel guilt if you look at that. You you wouldn't want to take trash and wrap it in wrapping paper and give it as a gift and act like nothing was happening. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> Here's my precious gift. And, uh, I mean, Yeah, look what I got you. It's actually almost <laughs> really the other way around. Like, let's wrap up something that's absolutely worthless um, and put it in the finest, nicest paper. And so it looks great, but when you really open it up and get to the essence, yeah, you don't want it. <laughs> Right. It's a Trojan because horse. If, if it was that valuable in the first place, you wouldn't want to part with it. You do, you would want That's to right. share it. You want to extend it, but you don't give it away, you know? Yeah. Well, and in the Course's teaching, you can't, you know, if, if it's real, if it's love, it's eternal, and you can't give it away, you can't change it. We didn't make love. Love is God. Love comes from God. So our choice is either we get out of the way and let it come through, um, or block it, disguise it, attempt to change it, shift the message, divert, um, and confuse everybody um, so that it looks like we're practicing love when we're really practicing separation and exclusion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are we ready for paragraph eight? Yes. Okay, here we go. The quote-unquote better self the ego seeks is always one that is more special. And whoever seems to possess a special self is quote-unquote loved for what can be taken from him. Where both partners see this special self in each other, the ego sees, quote, a union made in heaven, unquote. For neither one will recognize that he has asked for hell, and so he will not interfere with the ego's illusion of heaven, which it offered him to interfere with heaven. Yet, if all illusions are of fear and they can be of nothing else, the illusion of heaven is nothing more than an, quote, attractive form of fear in which the guilt is very deep and rises in the form of, quote, unquote, love. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that paragraph. Yeah. So here's it's, my it's interpretation very clear. of that. Yes. It's, it's, it's looking at something and not seeing it for what it really is. So what I say is that the, quote, unquote, better self, um, that this is talking about, seeks an aspect that will increase its worth and worthiness. The goal of obligatory completion, that merely feeds into the illusion that we are incomplete in the first place, which is not true, that we are empty of value and that our fearful view of heaven is unreachable. To the ego, finding a, quote, match made in heaven, even though it might often come with sacrifice, guilt, pain, or instability, what this does is it convinces us that we are experiencing real love and overcoming the challenges of this illusion. Um, and with the, the challenge makes us want it even more because what, what we're looking for is triumph. Um, let me go back. Convinces us that we're experiencing real love and overcoming the challenges of, of this illusion uh, results in triumph. Okay, we feel, we feel special in that we, quote, beat the odds and found what we were looking for. In this case, it's the ego's attempt to usurp the power of God and achieving a heady sense of power over something greater than itself. But the triumph is short-lived, and the reality of what we gave up 
to be in that relationship must rise to our awareness. We struggle to maintain these two illusions and call it love, but it's actually guilt in disguise for not seeing the truth of who we are, for not seeing the truth of what we want, which is peace, and the way to accomplish this realization. So this is the hell we put ourselves through in the glorious love the ego promises that will make us whole. And so there's this false promise that this relationship will make you whole. The truth is that is that you already are. You just don't see it. You just don't recognize it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, we could joke and say, you think it's going to make you whole, but all it really does is reinforce the holes that you believe are in you already. They're not. But, you know, if you, if you try to fill a hole in yourself with someone else and their, um, their person, their abilities, you're confirming to yourself that you have a hole in you that needs to be filled. Um, and it becomes real. What um, the Course uh, tells us is we're all complete, one, we've never left our source. You know, I am as God created me. There's your wholeness. And that when you recognize that in another, in a brother, you, you, you immediately recognize it in yourself. That, that, in a, that, that really the only way to, to understand wholeness is to see it in everyone else. And then, you know, how could you not be a part of that? But if we, yeah, if we see ourselves as lacking then we reinforce lack. And everything we do from that basis becomes, um, you know, all becomes additional reinforcement of that sense of lacking. And remember, mm. the, ego, the ego is nothing. I mean, it doesn't exist. So it's kind of the epitome of lacking. It's really lacking everything. It's lacking love, but it's lacking reality. So it's going to scramble around, you know, this crazy mad idea and try to grab onto anything and pull it down into the cesspool with it in order to prove that, no, no, see, I, I am something and you are me and, you know, and we are going to triumph. Um, when in point of fact, no, it's, it's, it's kind of yawn, nothing, um, you know. And, and this is why A Course in Miracles can say in, you know, a later chapter, I need do nothing. You know, it's not about doing. You don't have to find the right relationship, the right job, the right accomplishment. You don't need to win a Nobel Prize or, um, you know, or be the foreman. Or, I mean, it's about recognizing your own inner wholeness in order to see it in everyone else and recognizing that wholeness in everyone else in order to see it in yourself. And that's the difference between the special relationship and the holy relationship. One is entirely inclusive the other is entirely exclusive. Well said. Thank you. Well said. Wow. Okay. You want to move on to paragraph yeah, nine? Definitely. Here we go. The appeal of hell lies only in the terrible attraction of guilt, which the ego holds out to those who place their faith in littleness. The conviction of littleness lies in every special relationship, for only the deprived could value specialness. The demand for specialness and the perception of the giving of specialness as an act of love would make love hateful. The real purpose of the special relationship, in strict accordance with the ego's goals, is to destroy reality and substitute illusion. For the ego is itself an illusion, and only illusions can be witnesses to its quote-unquote reality. So th this is kind of just echoing um, what we were just saying. 
you know, the conviction of littleness lies in every special relationship. Well, littleness is, you know, it's kind of another way of talking about lack. I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like I'm not good enough. I mean, this is, you know, think of it as, as existential shame, um, which we all have to the extent that we inevitably fail um, in life, if only because we're going to die and any goal that we seek will at some point collapse under us um, because we're going to get old or we're going to get sick um, and none of them last forever anyway. Because of all of this, we're sort of you know, going around with a sense of fearfulness and shame and this infuses every relationship that the ego has because, as the paragraph tells us later, the ego is itself an illusion. So as an illusion, what's it going to look for to make it seem real? Other illusions. You know, mm -hmm. it can't go to reality and say, reality, make me real. You know, that would be like the darkness saying, light, come shine on me and prove that darkness is real. No, it doesn't work. The moment there's light, the moment there's reality, the ego is exposed as a sham. So the ego has to go into the darkness, into the shadows, into the um, illusion, and find elements of the illusion that it can convince us are real and important and worthy of seeking. That's back to what Shah read um, from our last session, seek but do not find. You know, the ego's maxim. Maxim means like its motto, its guiding principle, its mission statement. Seek but do not find. So, you know, the entire world is just like this giant um, smorgasbord where we want to try everything except all the food is crap. It isn't even food. It's, it's, it's a mirage of food, and if you think you're eating it, you're going to be starving. You can't, you can't get out of illusion by embracing another illusion. And, and this is one of the most difficult things about A Course in Miracles. You know, I, I, I've been in groups and talked with students who, who say, but, you know, there must be something of value in the world. I mean, look, it's a beautiful day or whatever. And what the Course tells us is the beauty we see in the world comes from us. It's when we are experiencing the love and the wholeness in us then we can see it out in the world, but it's not something in the world that exists on its own that we then need to grasp and embrace or, or tie down and, and, and chain to us, uh, handcuffed to us in a special relationship. You know, the ego is itself an illusion, and only illusions can witness its reality. And that will never work right. because it's not real. You can't make an illusion reality. No, and okay. I love the way you put that, where, you know, the world is set up for us to perceive it. And so however we feel about it and ourselves, that's how we're going to see it. So Bingo. ask a person who's clinically depressed if it's a beautiful day. Or yeah, someone dying right. from cancer, ask them if it's a beautiful day. And I mean, you, no, you just reminded me of something answer. that happened when I was a psychiatry resident. The art therapist was showing you know, pictures of she asked people to draw a beautiful sunset, and this guy who was really depressed drew his version of a beautiful sunset. It was browns and dark greens. You wouldn't have recognized it as anything close to a sunset. That was his perception. Sorry for cutting in, but I just wanted to share that. No, I love that stuff. Cut in any time. Okay, so here's my thoughts. I like to, I like to collect my thoughts and just um, kind of go off my notes. What I have is the battle that is kind of being described here is that the ego wants to believe it's real and that we want to believe that we are special outside of the truth of who we are. And this is much in line with what you said, Dr. Bob. The smallness 
and the sense of lack we experience, and in this case, our value and worth, choose our perception of what true love is and what can serve as a substitute for it. So, in a special relationship, we demand the other validate our worth and relieve us of the responsibility of doing it from within. When the other slacks off or stops uh, bestowing those things through their behavior, we start to choke on the lack of energy that is being given to us. That it's the energy that is transferred by other people in maintaining um, that relationship and with uh, compliments, favors, what have you. They need to. What, what we're really doing is maintaining the illusion that one's value must be acknowledged constantly. And you could say, like the Barbara Streisand song, uh, "You don't bring me flowers anymore." <laughs> so. Does that mean this person doesn't love you anymore or did just one aspect of the behavior evolve? And being an illusion itself, the ego in the special relationship survives on a diet of further illusion, illusion so that it can view itself as real. So piggybacking that onto what you said about the mirage and what I would uh, come up beside you and say is, like, yeah, there's a mirage and there's beautiful food laid out in the buffet. And so you feel triumphant in that you found it and that you've overcome impending death, right? The power that exists over you, that looms over you. And so you have the triumph. And then you may enjoy it in your fantasy. You may enjoy the food that you connect. But you're still going to be hungry because the food wasn't real. And so you're back to the beginning. And then you continue with the struggle and get these tiny triumphs without seeing the larger picture of, you know, just a couple miles away is a forest. Does that make, does that make sense? Yes, Yes, yes. That's good stuff. Yep. Okay. All right, paragraph shall 10? we forge on? Here we go. Okay, paragraph 10. If you perceive the special relationship as a triumph over God, would you want it? Would you want it? Let us not think of its fearful nature, nor of the guilt it must entail, nor of the sadness and the loneliness. For these are only attributes of the whole religion of separation and of the total context in which it is thought to occur. The central theme in its litany to sacrifice is that God must die so you can live. And it is this theme that is acted out in the special relationship. Through the death of yourself, you think you can attack another self and snatch it from the other to replace the self that you despise. And you despise it because you do not think it offers the specialness that you demand. And hating it, you have made it little and unworthy because you are afraid of it. Wow. So mm-hmm. let me jump right to the last line and the littleness. And I, I like to use different words to kind of expand the vision of it, the smallness and the unworthiness. Mm. We're afraid of it because we think it can do us in. What really, really scares us is our potential and the, the gloriousness of who we are. But here are my thoughts that I outlined for this. Our blurry vision of what relationships, our, our blurry vision of relationships doesn't allow us truly to see the reality of love. Looking away from fear, guilt, sadness, loneliness, or grief, the core belief is that in order to get what you want, the quote-unquote power or quote-unquote authority that holds you back or prevents you from achieving your goal must go away and leave you to your goal without regard for what's best for you or your spiritual growth or your highest good. By relinquishing the part of us that we would replace with what we see in the other person, we are not only attacking the other person, and I mean literally mugging them to take something from them, to possess what we see in them that is more valuable than what we see in ourselves. 
And so I kind of wanted to keep that concise. But, yeah, Good. our perception yeah. of it and the triumph and the demands. I mean, it was all – it's fascinating because I didn't get to look at this until this morning. And yesterday I had Mother Mary on the show to do her segment, and she talks about all forms of love. And so her channel, Danielle and I, have a little talk in the beginning, and I brought up the concept of demands and goals and all of, all that comes with it and the disappointment you feel when those demands aren't met. It's like, and Danielle added, it's like taking somebody hostage and presenting somebody with a list of demands. Someone's going to provide this for me or else something bad's going to happen. But anyway, so I was fascinated how similar the context of yesterday's segment and this section of the course is. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bring that up that it's been an interesting day in that all of this is just so rich and inspiring that um, that's why I was so excited when we started the show and the microphone started coming <laughs> out. But, but, that, but that's what I took from that in, in my attempt to keep it very concise. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would emphasize from this paragraph is you know, if you perceive the special relationship as a triumph over God, would you want it? <clears throat> In other words, the the ego's ultimate goal is to replace God, because if God is real, then you, your real self is real, and the ego is not. So the ego, as we said, is always trying to keep you diverted um, and, in a sense, investing in its, its, its BS, its crappy investments in order to... Um, convince you that you have no relationship whatsoever um, to God. And, you know, and, and, and this happens over and over and over. This theme is acted out in the special relationship over and over and over. You know, through the death of yourself, you think you can attack another self and, you know, and snatch it from the other to replace the self that you despise. But we only despise ourself because we've confused what we are and we've bought into the ego's game that we are it. The moment you go, no, I'm not ego. I'm, you know, the child of God. Um, I am the extension of God's love. Then obviously that's what you want. And as the extension of love, all you really want and are capable of doing is extending love. Poof, there goes the ego. I mean, I think of the ego as, um, you know, a very skilled con artist. Uh, And the really good con artists convince us that they have something we want and need and we will part with what is important to us, our hard-earned money, in order to get what they have. And when I was a kid, I read a book um, about one of the greatest con artists in the world. This is a guy who actually sold the Eiffel Tower twice, posing as a representative of the French government and selling it to scrap metal firms. And he was so good that he convinced the you know, that the government wanted to sell the Eiffel Tower for scrap. And when they finally arrested him, he was in the middle of a con, and the police went and told the person he was, you know, going to con that, uh, oh, that's right, he said, please, let me just finish my con, I'm, I'm hard up for cash. And, of course, they said no. But when they told the guy who was about to be conned that, um, you know, that, 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 that this guy was, that, uh, was a con artist, He refused to believe it. He was furious with the police. He thought that this was the opportunity of a lifetime and the police had now gotten in the way. That's the ego at work. You know, when one of our relationships doesn't work out, 
we're, we're furious, we're devastated, we're sure that that should have been it, you know, whether it's the romantic one or the job um, or, you know, you name it. And so we go out and look for another one and we get conned again. And, oh, and this process replays over and over. And um, like I said, then and, and in your case, that's a perfect example about the book because the police showed up and shattered his illusion and the police are the authority. They are more powerful yeah. than he is. And so he was mad at the authority that stopped him from getting what he wanted out of this transaction. So it's a exactly. perfect example. I love that you brought up that book. It, that's yeah. fascinating. But, yeah, there's the authority issue, and we're um, mad at a power that seems to be steering us in a direction we don't want to go, but we don't realize that what that authority is really doing is protecting us. Exactly. It's not trying to hurt us. That's the yes. crucial component of all this. Yes. It's saying, wake up, little child, wake up. And we're going, oh, you're scary. Get away. I want my illusion. <laughs> yes. And the, the police is trying to say, we're trying to protect you. We know what's best for you. This man is going to hurt you. So yes. I think um, by the end of the segment, we'll all be pretty fascinated at how well this all came together. Pretty cool. <laughs> I, I know that's the case. So I'm going to read mm -hmm. uh, paragraph 11. Okay, here we go. How can you grant unlimited power to what you think you have attacked? So fearful has the truth become to you that unless it is weak and little and unworthy of value, you would not dare to look upon it. You think it's safer to endow the little self you made with power you wrested from truth, triumphing over it and leaving it helpless. See how exactly is this ritual enacted in the special relationship? An altar is erected in between two separate people on which each seeks to kill his self and on his body raise another self to take its power from his death. Over and over and over this ritual is enacted and it is never completed nor ever will it be completed. The ritual of completion cannot complete for life arises not from death nor heaven from hell. So yeah, the ritual, the form, is never the content, the substance, as we'll see in the next paragraph. Um, you know, it, it, this, is, this is the difference between illusion and reality, the mirage and the real thing. You know, <clears throat> the illusion will never content you. The ritual of completion, which is what the ego enacts in the special relationship by killing the self that it believes is inadequate and bargaining to bring another self in. But then, of course, when that proves inadequate, it has to kill that and look for someone else who's even more special. You know, th this it, it will never satisfy. Um, you know, it, it's that con artist that you just keep um, getting tricked by. It's it's Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. Every time he goes to kick it, she's going to yank it away. And yet each time he hopes that maybe this time he'll get to kick it. I had never thought of that, but that actually is another perfect um, little metaphor for how the ego works. Mm -hmm. And then the first line um, of this section, how can you grant unlimited power to what you think you have attacked? So if we think we've attacked God, if we think that God, the authority trying to wake us up and keep us safe and remind us of who we are, if we think that that is dangerous and going to pop the balloon of our illusion, um, we have to push it away. And we can't make it something that has unlimited power um, because we've attacked God. 
Um, and then that carries through to our brothers and sisters. You know, um, if we've attacked them and in the special relationship we have, you know, we've erected this altar and we've killed uh, ourself and then we kill their self or they kill their self for us. You know, the, this, this bizarre um, ritual designed to take power from God belittles the oneness of reality and the love that is there and pushes it away because we're afraid of it. Um, in Chapter 19, the section called The Obstacles to Peace, it, it talks about many different sort of layerings of obstacles to peace. But the final one and the hardest to overcome is the fear of God. You know, when we separated, we thought we killed God. We didn't. Um, and therefore, we think God is furious with us. God isn't. Um, but this is what lingers in the background. So whenever love shows up, whenever wholeness shows up, whenever completion shows up, we go, uh, yeah, that, that looks pretty good. That feels nice. But let me finish my con. You know, let, let me just buy into this one more form, this one more ritual of completion, rather than allowing an experience of true completion to begin to come my way. Okay, over to you, Shar. <laughs> okay. I just want to add, um, before I get to my notes, is that um, this phrase pops up in my mind often, and that's the small death of the ego. And if we look at our disappointments for things that we've lost, um, relationships, friends, jobs, the sadness we feel, the anger, the grief, the bargaining, the whole um, rainbow of emotion that goes with the grieving process, these are all small deaths of the ego. It's all an exercise in letting go, you know? So I just wanted to... Throw that in there before I state my bullet list, which is the ritual of completion is impossible to complete because mm-hmm. is it, a, it is a ritual born of the idea of separation, which is the ultimate illusion. So one illusion can't support another when neither of them have the solid structure of truth and reality. So truth and reality have structure, whereas illusion is flimsy and subject to rearrangements to make us feel better. You know, we can make these capricious decisions that, well, I don't like I don't like this, so okay, well we'll change this, make a new rule and then we're back to uh being happy. The structure of truth is what we resist. We hurl hurl ourselves at it, causing ourselves pain because we don't want to look at it. And we see it as bigger than us and we fight against it. We find it safer to look upon that which we see as non threatening to our perception of ourselves. And so if we see it as little or small or uh, not as dangerous as looking at God and seeing him for who he is instead of this being who can make our decisions for us, then we're going we're gonna to choose the, the one that isn't as scary. Mm-hmm. But the truth really isn't scary. Reality isn't scary. What's scary is the feeling when that illusion is ripped from your hand. Or out of your mind, you know what I mean. That is what makes us go out of our mind. Yeah, and, and it's only scary because you know we've misidentified with the ego. Um, somewhere in the course, it says, you know that that we um, believing we're egos, that the ego is that that, that the separated are. That's right. The separated are afraid of change because their first experience of change was the separation. So it's sort of like there's this core post-traumatic stress flashback-like fear that any change is going to make things worse because the very first change we experienced, the movement from oneness into the delusion of separation, 
that was the first change, and it was, you know, it was a horror show. Um, and, and you see this, you know, people living in, you know, um, you know, cardboard shacks don't want to leave their cardboard shacks because, uh-oh, what if it got worse? But in point of fact, the entire purpose of, of, of A Course in Miracles, it is a course, it is a, a training program under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Um, and the purpose is to to train us to allow change, not change among illusions, not what we've been reading in these paragraphs of, oh, you know, that illusion, that person, that was great. Nope, no, it wasn't. Let me go do, you know, find something else. But true change, which is awakening, which is remembering, which is remembering who and what we truly are, the child of God, the son of God. Um, so, yeah, you know, we we uh, we are afraid of that. I thought you, you know, I thought your um, your interpretation was beautiful and, and really just nailed that this section. Thank you. So let me touch on that, what you just said real quickly, because. You know, when we meet somebody and we're falling in love and we're euphoric and they're so wonderful. And like I've said in other segments, there are warning signs. There are red flags that go up, but we say, no, 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 that's okay. I'll just look away from that. This person is wonderful and they complete me. So that when it's over, after you have gotten to know them to the point where you say, you're not who I thought you were, or you've changed, then Ask yourself, okay, look at look at a past relationship and then ask yourself, what wasn't there at the end that you thought was there in the beginning? Mm. Yes. What 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 changed? What went away? What did you think was there? So they're like, Oh, now I see you for who you really are. They didn't delude you. <laughs> in some That's cases right. they did. In some cases, in, in a lot of cases, they really they did, are, you, you actually know. have an opportunity to convert it to a holy relationship. Right. But in that in the deception, you help, you contribute it, and then everybody, you know, when when um, when the romantic setting, when the lights come up and and the mist goes away, and you're looking at who you're really with and how they make you feel, and and what the dynamics of the relationship are now at a later date, then you have to really look at these things. Um, people can deceive us, but we can also help in that deception by buying into the illusion and not asking God, ask, ask God in all things, is this the right person for me? You know, yes. I'm going to leave it at that because like these things keep slipping out of my mouth that I wanted to say later. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> there is no perfect time and every time is perfect. <laughs> right. Right. You ready for paragraph 12? Yeah. Yes. Go right ahead. Uh, I think it's yours. Oh, it is mine. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. I'm just so excited. Okay. Whenever any form of special relationship tempts you to seek for love in ritual, remember love is content and not form of any kind. The special relationship is a ritual of form aimed at raising the form to take the place of God at the expense of content. There is no meaning in the form, and there will never be. The special relationship must be recognized for what it is, a senseless ritual in which strength is extracted from the death of God and invested in his killer as the sign that that form has triumphed over content and love has lost its meaning. Would you want this? 
to be possible, even apart from its evident impossibility? <laughs> if it were possible, you would have made yourself helpless. God is not, he merely could not let this happen. You cannot change his mind. No rituals that you have set up in which the dance of death delights you can bring death to the eternal. Nor can your chosen substitute for the wholeness of God have any influence at all upon it. And to this I just say, wow. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the rituals. I want to... I want to, I'd like to take a word and, and get synonyms to give everybody a broader range uh, of consideration. So if we look at the rituals described, in my view, you know, in romantic partnerships in particular, but also in others, the rituals are the behaviors of trying to convince someone you are worthy of being validated by them, but it applies to all forms of relationships. When this happens, jobs, friends, when this happens, we punish others for the way we feel and for not meeting their end of the bargain that was mentioned in the previous paragraph, in that trade that was mentioned in what, paragraph seven? Yes. Yeah. So we have this bargain, and we punish them for not meeting their end of that bargain, or we can also call it a silent contract, which means whether the agreement in that relationship was expressed or implied, and implies, as in, as in the case of a coworker, that you, there's an implied contract that this person is going to be a considerate team player. Well, sometimes they don't honor their end of the bargain, but they don't know that they've been entered into a bargain with you to be agreeable. Sometimes they're just jealous and catty, and they want to sabotage your work and, and put you down and make themselves feel better. But it doesn't matter whether it takes the form of an art, this, this type of punishment that I'm talking about. It doesn't matter whether that punishment takes the form of an argument, the silent treatment, an affair, or a breakup. All of these ritualistic behaviors are indicative of a struggle with God to give you what you want. And so that brings me to all my segment yesterday with Mother Mary. Um, again, the topic was all forms of love, and she actually um, answered a question of mine on unrequited love. And so I want to play that, but I want to hear your thoughts first, and then I'll go to the clip that I uploaded, and I think we'll all be fascinated at what she says. Yeah, um, you know, I think you, 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 you spoke it very, very well. The only um, thing in this paragraph that I think some people might find confusing is this idea um, that we're trying to kill God. Yeah. Obviously, if we one. saw that, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's a tough uh, one, and, and the, the verbiage is rather violent. Um, yes, exactly. But I didn't, I didn't extract that one. But you go ahead. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into this in great detail because this is a theme that, of course, in Miracles revisits, you know, many times uh, through the text. But, you know, the basic understanding is that when we deny our pedigree, when we deny what we are, <clears throat> that is an attempt to kill God. We are essentially saying we, we are not what you are uh, and we are something else. And therefore, you know, we, we, in a, to, to, to block out, reality with a capital r we have to try to kill it and of course the whole idea of death doesn't exist in god's reality i mean how can there be a limit to the limitless how can um the eternal ever be finite so the very idea of death is itself um an ego form and an ego belief 
And, and the belief in death is also, therefore, an attempt to kill God. We are denying the truth of God, and, and we are bringing in this idea of death. And I think that's where the Course can say, no rituals that you have set up in which the dance of death delights you can bring death to the eternal. I think most of us would say, you know, what do you mean the dance of death delights us? No, nobody wants to. You know, it sounds like one of those Renaissance paintings with a smiling skeleton prancing around or something. Um, it, it's not that on the surface we're aware of that. It's that every action we take that's ego-inspired is a beautification and, uh, and a reinforcement of the idea that death is real and death, in this sense, fascinates us because death would prove that the ego has triumphed over God. And, and that, that's pretty much all I wanted to say here is that, you know, the special relationship is just one way of doing that. Specialness in any form, you know, even in a more broad, generic way, is about doing that. You know, we wanted specialness from God, um, and in order to be special, we had to be separate. Um, you know, if everyone is part of oneness, how can anything in oneness be special? Oneness, I mean, specialness requires, you know, relativity, requires contrast, requires comparison. So, you know, the special relationship is a ritual of form. Form cannot replace content. Illusion cannot replace reality. I mean, this section is saying, like so much of the Course, it's saying the same thing over and over, but with different words, different images, different refrains. Um, and no matter how much we try, we can't kill God. And the Course says we can't even kill ourselves, you know, that, that the eternal within us doesn't die when the body dies, but because we've still identified with the ego, you know, we haven't really freed ourselves. Death is not release. Um, death is just, you know, another change in the form. Okay. I just wanted to, you know, touch on that before we um, get to the segment from uh, Mother Mary. That was great. That was great. And I want to emphasize, you know, the phrase dance, um, dance of death. And I also want to add that, um, the, the question I asked her was about unrequited love. Um, I have a lot of clients and listeners asking me about that, so I wanted to uh, kind of get a, a more definitive answer about what's really happening with that. Um, but I want to add that it applies to, like, the end of a relationship as well, in which you see value in that relationship beyond the value of yourself. So I want everybody to not just think of one scenario where you wanted to be with somebody and they didn't want to be with you, but even after a relationship ends and you can't let go and you can't get that person out of your mind and you, you live, you exist with this question on your heart, why and, and why couldn't I have that? Why wouldn't it work out? So I want everybody to pull up at least one example in their life where they experience this and then we'll hear Mother's answer when I play the clip. So um, what I'm going to do is mute my phone and just hit play and the clip takes just under six minutes. And then we'll talk more when it's over. Okay, Dr. Bob? Sounds good. Yeah, I'll put my okay. mute on, too. Okay, good. All right, I'll talk to you in a few minutes. Here we go. This is Mother Mary from my segment on July 12, 2017. You can find it in the archive at spiritualinsightsradio.com if you'd like to hear the entire transmission. This is but a, a brief portion of what she spoke of on the subject of all forms of love, and we're talking about form in this section. So this... Um, is a wonderful partnership in information. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. 
Okay. Um, can I ask a question on unrequited love, Mother? Yes, beloved. Okay. Well, um, in in my journey, I have experienced this, and um, Jesus mentioned not too long ago that it teaches us about true love. Could would you like to add to that and explain what what that means about how not getting what you hope and expect to you? Does that bring you closer to yourself, to God? What does that do in not getting? Well, it's like uh, in childhood, right? When you want uh, candy and your uh, parent, one or the other or both, says, no, not today, not now. Now, these are small ways, uh, or you want a toy to be purchased, and they say, no, we can't do that right now, mm-hmm. or ever. It's how children learn disappointment, right? that they are not going to get everything in life that they might want. And um, it begins to teach the basics of life and uh, ultimately or eventually life outside of the home with parents. So in the case of Candy, the parent knows that... Um, too much of that is not good for your teeth, your health. And so they are always trying to regulate maybe your candy intake. And with the toy, maybe your parents don't have the money. And as uh, you grow, you begin to learn that uh, individual families or individuals do not have unlimited supplies of money, that you cannot have or that money even exists and you have to have it in order to purchase the toy. So these are ways to cope with disappointment, but also to teach you about life and about the world. So when it comes to unrequited love as an adult, it gives you the opportunity, first of all, just to feel love, which is always very positive, but it also gives you uh, another um, sort of deeper feeling of disappointment, but only because uh, what you're being shown is that you cannot control another person. You cannot make them love you or want you. And the child inside can still believe that uh, if you try hard enough, if you dance a certain way uh, to get their attention, um, and I use the word dance in a broader uh, scope, uh, that if you get their attention, they'll fall in love with you. If you do something, they are going to give you what you want. And unrequited love tells you that no, beloved, you cannot control another. You cannot make them want you or love you or stay with you if they want to go. But what it does show you that, well, it gives you that opportunity to recognize the true love of letting go, of letting them be themselves, recognizing that you have been um, somehow overwhelmed with this love or this feeling, maybe when you dig deeper into your own version of love, you'll find that what you felt towards that person was not love. 
but mm-hmm. maybe it was a possessive kind of lust that you wanted to obtain them. Or if you could have someone like that, wow, that would say good things about you. It's an opportunity to see yourself. And that is the true deep love. That is the love uh, when God is saying to you, this person is not for you, beloved. I know you want them. I know you want them badly. And you think about them, you dream about them, you fantasize about them, you want, you want, you want. And it hurts. The want is so deep sometimes. Mm -hmm. But that true love, the way we love you, is sometimes to say, it's better not to have this person because you don't know what's coming, but we do. And while it feels like you're the child and we're not giving you the candy or the toy that you want, because trust me, when I tell you, it's just as painful for the three-year-old as it is for the 33-year-old, all right? Uh, Disappointment, being thwarted, not having expectations met, there is always a level of pain in disappointment. Mm -hmm. But that true love of recognizing that you cannot always have what you want, but that ultimately you are getting what you need. You may just not be able to recognize it in the moment because we know more of what's coming or what that person really is like, and you don't. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? All of it. There it is. That is something, and I was uh, blown away this morning as I went through, read through the text that we would be covering today and how it blended so well with what she said, even though she does not um, speak in the way that Jesus does in the Course. She has this unique perspective and her choice of words, which is universal in and of itself and doesn't apply to any one thought system. But I thought that was so beautiful, and I want to point out to the listeners that in that transmission, she also offers an exercise where we can, through automatic writing, learn how we perceive love. And I thought if we're all so uh, immersed in this aspect of our lives, that would be a good exercise for all of us to do. And so I wanted to let you know what was in that segment. What did you think, Dr. Bob? Um, I, I think that's right on. Um, you know, it, it gets to the more fundamental idea. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it, it reminded me of what we were talking about earlier where, yes, the police come and arrest the con man, and we don't like it because we thought this was the deal of our life. It's, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with telling a baby that it can't have candy. And there's somewhere in A Course in Miracles there's a paragraph about, you know, how a child who wants to play with a sharp toy, no, the parent takes that away and doesn't allow the child to play with a sharp toy because the parent knows that that could hurt the child. But fundamentally, you know, she was saying, you know, we can't always get what we want. I would just want to refine that a little bit to say the you that thinks it knows what it wants is not the real you um, because that's the you, the little you, the limited you, um, the small ego you. 
that still believes somewhere in the amusement park of illusion there's a ride that you want to go on that's going to bring you perfect bliss and happiness and it won't happen so i've been saying for decades that spirit has two ways to teach us um, that the world is illusion and won't satisfy us one is by denying us the things we think we want because eventually we realize we didn't need them and we did just fine without them. The other is by giving us the things we think we want because then we get to see they have no lasting value. You know, you, you walked off with that young boy or young girl hand in hand um, after the county fair and it was beautiful love. Oh, until you actually got to know each other and realized you had personalities and parents or until, you know, if you're in your 20s, you both got jobs or you had babies. In other words, you know, Lesson 133 in the course, um, which talks about how we define value, says anything that won't last forever is, doesn't really truly have value. So we go through this world assigning value to one thing after another that is fundamentally valueless because it's illusion. And, and so the, the, the primary teaching, um, which Mother uh, Mary, you know, emphasized so beautifully, is you do not know what will make you happy. Now, again, it seems counterintuitive to most of us. You know, most of us think, well, you know, try me. I'll give you a list and, you know, <laughs> you grant these and I'll be just fine. No, you won't be. We don't know, but this, the, the sentence doesn't end there. We don't know and there is a power, a force that is us, higher self, God, oversoul. You can give it a lot of different names. The Course would call it Holy Spirit, that knows exactly what you need, not in terms of the things of this world, but in terms of the journey. It's kind of like um, in the book that I, I just finished uh, that will come out in March called From Nevermind to Evermind. I use the metaphor of, you know, we need to cross a series of mountains and we hire a guide, and this guide says, oh, yeah, you know, I know the mountain's like the back of my hand, and he leads us up, you know, some steep paths, and, and all of a sudden the path is blocked, and the guide goes, ah, oh, darn, well, you know what, I know another one, and we take that one, and we're wandering for three days with this guide, and, and he goes, yeah, I, I was sure there was a crossing here, and, you know, and, and, and this guide is the ego, and at some point, hopefully, we wake up and go, this guide doesn't know what he's talking about, um, you know, I need I need something from above. You know, you, you buy a flawless satellite GPS system, and that tells you exactly where you need to go. So, um, yeah, we can't get where we think we want to go because where we think we want to go doesn't exist. It's an illusion. That's what this whole section is saying. That's what Mother was saying. And when you sign on to a spiritual path, when you go, you know, I want God and nothing but God. I want love and nothing but love. I want reality, wholeness, and nothing but that. Those are really powerful statements, and you have turned your life over to a higher power, just like anyone in a 12-step program has done. And when you do that, yeah, there are certain things that you will be warned away from, certain experiences that might have come your way and may even have had a teaching value but a teaching value that would have taken you years and a lot of pain and suffering and what higher power, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is doing is saying, this need not be. Here's a different path. Follow me. And all of a sudden the Red Sea parts and what looked like an impossible obstacle clears. People show up in your life who turn out to be 
more than what you dreamed of, even though maybe when they first showed up, you go, no, no, that's not what I want. We don't know what we want. So I'm going to close by just saying my favorite prayer and the one I use the most from A Course in Miracles is goes as follows. I do not know what anything, including this, means, and so I do not know how to respond to it, and I will not use my own past learning as the light to guide me now. In other words, we approach everything with Zen beginner's mind newness. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it means. We don't know what we want. We turn it over. We ask, um, sometimes quite literally, help us understand this, and then we proceed with guidance. And, and I think that's what Mother was saying is, yeah, unrequited love, you know, you wanted the sharp toy. You wanted the bad candy. You wanted to go down in the deep hole from which it would have taken you three lifetimes to surface. And when you're on that path, that higher power says, mm, no, we're not going to let you do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> And I think what I'll do in lieu of saying a prayer today, I'll leave the prayer you just recited as our prayer. And, of Thank course, you. that'll do the trick. But I I wanted to mention that if for those who, like Mother said, think and dream and fantasize about people from our past, um, and, and not just somebody we want to draw to us, but also the people who are gone and and we grieve that loss continually, um, whether in the forefront of your mind or in the back of your mind. What's lacking is closure. And so in looking at that relationship and realizing that it wasn't for your highest good and that there are those who do know what's best for you. And so sometimes they don't allow you to have what you want because they know ultimately it doesn't get you to the destination. They know our destination. We might have an idea of our destination, but they know, and they know what will divert us from that. Like you said, it might take you three lifetimes to climb up out of that. Yeah. And they can't allow that to happen. And so there is something of a parent-child relationship, but over the past year, I've transformed in that I want that parent relationship, that parent-child relationship. I want to learn, and I'm able to say, you tell me what's best for me, and I'm okay with that. Not with everything, you know. I do but we're learning. have my range of emotions, but it's much easier. And you'll find that you'll find your true life when you let go and let God, you know. Follow yeah, that guidance. Just, That's your GPS. Yes. I, I, I do. I'm very guided to add, you know, one thing. Um, it is possible that some of our listeners have had a relationship that was wonderfully loving and that person died um you know for anyone who's lost a child this is clearly so and it's not that the holy spirit is going well you know you loved your kid too much or that relationship was too good there is a lesson um but the lesson is about the permanence of love that the loss of a body and a particular form of love doesn't take away that love and if you've had that kind of a loving relationship and you know what that felt like you can call upon that and access that at any time you might even really be able to feel the presence of that person that being that you loved um, with you in you around you and and so the lesson there becomes not, no, no, you can't have it, 
but what you thought was in a limited special form of just this one person, this one body in this one time or lifetime is actually just a small sample of love, capital L, that is yours and mine and everyone's and God's that we can access anywhere, anytime. And when you open to it in that way, um, the grief the grief really does start to shift and change and break apart. You know, love is eternal. You can't kill love. The form that it takes can change and, and absolutely will. Um, lesson 161 of the Course says, don't, my paraphrase, don't get enslaved, don't get chained to any particular form because it's guaranteed it's going to change. That's the nature of form. It's not real. It's not content. But the reality of love is completion. Um, so I just you know, wanted to, to get that in there. It's, it's not like, okay, we're going we're gonna to take this away for your own good. Um, sometimes it is. Often it is. In fact, I'd say more often than not. But it can also be just um, a teaching in the absolute permanence and undestructibility of love. You know, Again, love is. Amen, Dr. Bob. Amen. <laughs> On that note, yes. <laughs> yes. And that I'm glad you brought that up because there are those um, examples and experiences where it was all good and then suddenly ended. And it is tragic. Um, but I think that's our opportunity to turn loss into blessing and see it through the eyes of love, through the eyes of God. See how that person blessed you even though their journey had to end for whatever reason. But I think um, I think that's where we should leave this off. This was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, thank you, Shar. I agree. This was great. And thank you for playing that segment. Um, I realize for our listeners it's the first time we've done that. It's unusual, but you got to admit, it fit just beautifully with, with all that we were talking about. So thank you for your guidance on that, Shar. Oh, you're welcome. And um, the whole transmission is uh, equally as enlightening. And, uh, again, she gives an exercise to um, – she teaches you how to do automatic writing and get from your higher self or your guides how you perceive love. And so when you see that there are certain misperceptions that are guiding you to the wrong person or the wrong form of relationship. And then that's the assistance she offered in that respect. But, wow. Um, okay, so uh, we will talk again next month. And just to let the listeners know, if you would like to um, go to Bob's, Dr. Bob's website, uh, I highly recommend his book, From Plagues to Miracles, and that's from plaguestomiracles.com. You can also visit ATIN.org to learn more about and purchase the course. And you can access the archive of all of my segments at spiritualinsightsradio.com. Thank you so much for this, Dr. Bob. It's just so wonderful to be able to do this with you. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thank you, too. Oh, and, and by the way, us. guess what this month is? No idea. It is our four-year anniversary. We've been friends oh, for four years now. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my. Well, that's worth uh, acknowledging and, uh, and, and, and giving yes. a little hooray to. Four years. Happy wow. anniversary. Yes. Happy absolutely. anniversary, indeed. <laughs> Thank you. And if the listeners don't know, Dr. Bob was actually my first guest when I launched the show. We met shortly before I launched it. So uh, the timeline is 
very, uh, very interesting. So thank you again for being my friend and for doing the show with me and for allowing me to be part of your journey. I appreciate it. Amen. Amen. Okay. And to be continued. Talk to you you next segment where we'll pick up where we left off and possibly go into the next section. We'll see what happens. I suspect we will, yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care. Many blessings. Bye-bye. You as well. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. I do hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.